0: Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware. Hello, it's Martin here, Electronically Yours as always. Um, today's guest is a little bit different to my normal guest. He's an electronic musician, but he's better known as a DJ. His name is Judge Jules, incredibly famous DJ, very successful from London. Um, very nice guy. Uh, one very interesting fact about him is he's also a lawyer and um, which is quite incredible. Um, It's a very rare thing to have um, a combination of musician and lawyer and DJ, I would say. Um, And we have quite an interesting chat about uh, the world, the DJ world and the various kind of spin-offs from it, including live work, library interpretations of hits, Uh, electronic dance music, of course, is a big thing. and um, and uh, the meaning of being a dj in today's world and what that all means we talk about the music industry because obviously he's uh, extremely knowledgeable about the inner workings of the dark arts of the industry um and and the light arts he's done a huge amount of stuff and has been frankly very successful in pretty much everything he's turned his hand to so here he is the judge himself just jewels Are you uh, fit and ready to go on this <laughs> for a hard day's
1: lawyering? I've, yeah, I've, well, I t- sort of try and come home early. I live in North London. I try and come home early to beat the rush hour. And then um, then the hard day's lawyering, regrettably, continues. It follows, a bit follows
0: you, yeah. Yeah, it does, sadly. Oh, dear. Um, well, it was your choice, wasn't
1: it? You still no, know, no I'm, not, I'm not moaning. I'm just, uh, just a statement yeah. of facts regarding what happens in the day, really. What... Um, it's a very odd combination,
0: isn't it? The kind of exciting lifestyle of a DJ and the kind of in- intensely process-driven uh lifestyle of a lawyer.
1: It is. Um I think, but there's a bit of yin and yang to it in that I to be successful as an artist, you have to be a little bit selfish, dare I say it. Yeah. And it's it's an unfortunate admission, but I I just, you know, I've known multiple. Very successful artists in my in my life, and and it's the one sort of common thread that runs through everybody. And therefore, to to kind of leave your ego and your your metaphorical looking in the mirror at the door, and focus on others and the careers of others, or the, the, thinking the same thoughts but completely putting pointing them in the direction of others is very. Not only is it good karma, I actually really enjoy it for that reason.
0: That's amazing. I'd never, I would never have thought of that. Um, well, you know, the business side of things, let's face it, we all know people have been ripped off massively, you know, in the, uh, in the music business. I kind of avoided it to a certain extent, but, um, I mean good lord in the i mean the 80s and obviously you're you're more of a 90s dude but uh certainly in the 80s the, the 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 whole of the music industry was awash with cash really wasn't it it was just everybody was making money really and uh and so uh people were didn't have their eye on the ball i don't think so much then i think they do now
1: yeah, I think they're, they're kind of forced to. Um, <clears throat> I was I was probably one of the most dangerous people out there in uh, the deals I did in the 90s and the noughties, the record deals and the publishing deals, which was uh, a kid with a law degree who thinks he's a lawyer. <laughs> and I really, it, it was only when I sort of bit the bullet and decided actually I'm not capable of understanding these contracts. Well, loads, many, many years prior to being a lawyer and actually engaged a third-party lawyer that, things started to improve. But I it was almost like Emperor's New Clothes. I dared not admit that I actually didn't understand things because I went to a fairly prestigious university and I LSE, yeah. 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 And I went to a degree, I got a degree in law. So and I was and I was you know I like to keep the the judge name very distinct from my career as a lawyer because I might get in a bit of trouble about it otherwise. Yeah yeah but you know you you've got this name. So there is there is plenty of reasons to to or there were plenty of reasons to bluff it at the time. Um, But actually in a, in a perverse sort of way, it was one of the the main motivations to become a lawyer because I signed these crap deals because I, I dared not admit that I didn't know what I was doing, uh, <laughs> and then, then to kind of stop people making the same mistakes I did. But also, I think one of the and you know, I have been lucky enough to 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 know a lot of successful, but not just DJs, but musicians yeah. in my in my life. And um, actually, I think um, almost all of them are pretty commercially savvy. Uh, yeah. Which isn't to say which isn't to say that they would do all of the commercial nitty-gritty themselves. That's what they have managers and accountants and all the rest of it for. But ask them to make decisions on the on the key strategic elements of their business. To understand branding. To understand um, I don't know rights periods. All all the kind of core cool stuff. Just about every successful artist that I've known gets it completely. So um, part of my sort of evangelical message is to. Is to make people realise because because you get a lot of um, entry level musicians who think that getting a getting a manager is if you like the gateway to heaven, and because your manager is going to do it all for you, so you can just focus on making the best music you possibly can. But well, I'm afraid to I'm afraid to sort of break it to you that that is not going to work. You really do have to be. In addition to the way the, the modern ways of the music industry, where you have to be an exceptional DIY brander, creating this marketplace yeah. for yourself before a record company would even go and sign you, n- irrespective of how good your music is, you've also got to be have a savvy understanding of the way the business works. And so that's that's my sort of you know if you have to sum my message up in a, in, a, in a few short sentences, that would probably be it. Yeah, is
0: don't you think it's an enormous amount of pressure to put on young people who are struggling just to make the music, you know, uh, as 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 good as they can. Uh, I mean, I I, I'm, I do quite a lot of mentoring on the Tire Yard course, as you know, probably, um, education course, and I find that a lot of young people, and really the talent is only, as we know, only part of it, but they, they just are so overwhelmed with having to be the jack of all trades, It's just yet another thing that's piled onto people all the time. It's like, yeah, I know. When you get beyond a certain point, you can get people like you to to help with the nitty gritty and make sure you get a decent deal and stuff. But it's just such a lot. We didn't have that pressure when I was growing up in the 80s in, in the music industry.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know. I had the luxury. Of, I'm very familiar with your career. I was actually a really big Heaven Seventeen fan. No, I'll born.
0: give over. Oh, no, shit. And
1: I've got <laughs> i got the ten. Inch, I've got the the, the the box set with all the seven inches. I've got really? From when I from where I grew up. So, um, and and the similar, to an extent, there's a parallel between what you did and I did. Is that we were there, you know, probably more by design than by accident, but we were there early within a genre. And yeah. if you're early within a genre it's much, much easier to create a brand for yourself. And I I got, you know, moving over to me rather than talking about my enormous love and dancing around to your records. Um was I got in there from the acid from if you like the, the warehouse parties of the late 80s into the acid house era of the late 80s when There was a small market for what I was doing. Uh, I was lucky enough to be in there early, just caught the bug, went, you know, we all have a few eureka moments wherever you are in the creative community. Mine were going to certain gigs, going to New York, going to the Paradise Garage, and I was lucky enough to be there early. And, And therefore it was easier, you know, add that to, a small amount of talent. I wouldn't want to go further than that, and a decent understanding of branding. And you're you're ahead of the game already. Now, of course, now with sixty thousand Spotify releases at most recent count per day, it is significantly more difficult to create a branding position for yourself. But at the same time, you've got to understand branding, whether you whether you see it from a very cold kind of business like uh, marketeer's perspective, or whether you just are very good at leveraging whatever point of difference you have about your career and your artistic identity. It's never been more important than now, but but you're absolutely right, it is piling pressure on artists and it is, I'd have to be honest and say there are certain genres of artists who've got more pressure on them. Uh, For example, female solo artists uh, is the most oversubscribed area of music by by some distance. which it won't be much consolation to a a, a prospective budding female solo artist listening to this, but that's the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's all the more reason under those circumstances to create a point of difference. But then also, if you think about it, there haven't been that many hugely commercially successful sort of rock, either sort of heavy or commercial rock bands in the last sort of 15 years either. So there are certain areas of music where you've, Got to try that much harder, and and dare I say, there's got to be some luck. I think there has to be some luck in any in any um, sphere of the arts. Um, But it really that that DIY branding thing, and I and I I frequently have this conversation. I've got as as a lawyer more so really than as a DJ. As a lawyer, you have certain artists that you think are truly special. You mentor from from an early stage, and you hope that they go on to be something. But the one bit of advice, you know, this advice about DIY brand building, is so easy to you yeah. know, exhale from one's lips, but so so very difficult to actually do if you're an artist because you it may not come naturally to you, and it's and and there are so many different bricks that exist within the wall of brand building, and unless you're prepared to kind of using my rather silly metaphor, continue kind of bricklaying in a number of different directions. it it, it is complicated and 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 there is no substitute for it though because no manager really no serious manager is likely to want to entertain you unless you've done an element of that no bigger record label is likely to want to entertain you um you might be lucky enough to go with a smaller record label and of course self-release when you've done no brand building is a bit of a waste of time in my view yeah
0: and there's a i hate to say it but there's a lot of uh, young artists who have been sold a, sold the dream that you know somehow just to just to drop a single is enough, and it's ob- so obviously not. Um, in fact, it may even be harming your prospects. You know, because you, it's not just about issuing it forth to the world, as we all know. It's about how do you drive traffic to your to listen to it, even though it exists, uh, is a real problem because we we're, we're in a we're in a situation I mean obviously you've been a radio DJ for a very long time and, and this playlists and we all know it's well documented the kind of degradation well, I'm calling it degradation you don't have to I'm calling it a degradation of, of kind of playlisting, which is much more concerned with you know kind of online popularity now it seems to me than any kind of taste making um, which is ironic right, because you're a tastemaker right. <laughs> Yeah,
1: and all that stuff? yeah. I mean, well, there's 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 two elements to playlists, and I I, I couldn't say which applies to each given playlist. There's kind of algorithm algorithm driven playlists, and there's curated playlists, and probably there's a bit of both in in the case of many of Spotify's own playlists. So I'm not wholly anti playlists, um, although there are other aspects of playlists I, I find a bit distasteful artistically. For example. I mean, I'm more au fait with it. My legal practice covers way more than just electronic music, but electronic right. music is obviously my in my DNA. Is what I've done for years. And if you look at just about all the key Spotify electronic music playlists, every version is two minutes 50 long. And anybody who knows anything can tell you that electronic music does not lend itself very well to such a short representation. Mm. But of course... That ties into the fact that that it has been shown that people kind of stick or twist, they they kind of play or they click to move on within such a short period of space of time, and therefore that's what people, producers and um, record companies feel obliged to do. But it's artistically, I don't think that's that's fabulous. You do tend to find some other slightly less, um, more more buried, uh, more buried um, in in the in that great sea of playlists. Um, entities that will play the full length of things or longer versions. But but certainly Spotify's own playlists in the, the area of, in, in electronic music don't do it at all, which is no. quite disappointing. I mean, I, I don't mind the creation because I, I have encountered and and via sort of connections, I, I know other people who are very well connected within Spotify. And, and, and I know that there are genuinely passionate people within Spotify putting these playlists together. So I don't want to be wholly...
0: No, Uh, no, no. I I mean, I wouldn't even say it's not just like a a simple good versus evil thing. Um, It's just I find a general level of disappointment in as much as it's, you know, the more that we move towards a kind of uh, metricized, measured approach to something which is essentially subjective, then that, that means that it's going to be. About commerce more and more and more and more. Now it's always been about commerce, I know that. But this basically the the whole process is squeezing randomness out of the system. And the, the randomness is where the exciting stuff happens.
1: I think yeah, I, 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 I couldn't argue with that. And and obviously, if there is if there is an identikit record that does well according to this the algorithm of any of the, the, the major streaming services the chance are you know that does that does stand in the way of change it's mm-hmm. it, you, you almost get into a sort of position where music which has got this tremendous ability to reinvent itself may not reinvent itself nearly so quickly or, if at all
0: mm. how do you reconcile your kind of um Dance creativity, dance curatorial. I mean, I've just listened to your global warm-up playlist, which I was really enjoying, to be honest. It's very long. It's (laughs) it's like 18 hours or something. Um highly recommended for all, all the podcast listeners. Um and it what's clear is that your curatorial approach is very musical. This is something I wasn't fully expecting, because of course, you know, I associate what you do with house and trance and and a lot of that is quite musical, but, the, but you obviously, there's a lot more going on under the bonnet as far as I'm concerned with, and that's probably the reason why you've been so successful, is that you have a genuine musical appreciation, which is overlaid with this kind of dance genre thing. Um, wh- who were your main influences when you were growing up
1: musically? Well, I've already told you one, and I'm really not making this no, up, for the up. No, I'm really, really not making this up for the purposes of now at all. I, I you know, I got into music very young because I, I had a cousin, one of my cousins, uh, who's a couple of years older than me, sort of turned me on to sort of punk and the sort of punk that evolved into indie when I was super young, when I was barely, barely in my double figures of age, and then that when you start, and I was lucky enough to then you could kind of go and go to gigs when you were very young. Now they simply didn't pay any attention to age, ages. I was brought up in Crouch End in North London. I went to the Rainbow Theatre, constantly saw some of the most iconic bands ever. Um, the, the Clash, The Jam, Sham 69, wow. Joy Division. Joy Division. Um, but it, but I think it's when you get out, uh, when you get out into, uh, the clubs which again I'm a tall lad and when I was young they didn't care how old you were as long as you vaguely looked at it so I was out in clubs for probably about 15 Mm -hmm. uh and it's it's then when you start here then you then you start living for that kick drum and the kick drum is kind of everything so which is why I, I there were there were certain um absolute moments of epiphany like hearing we don't need no fascist groove thing or hearing like blue monday which kind of took those kind of n- a new wave sensibilities that i had when i was uh, a kid but applied that kick drum that is everything client applied really kind of compressed sense to things and then then i guess once tastes evolved in part you you, you as you become a tastemaker got onto pirate radio and you you try and if you like nudge along the evolution of music in your own small kind of uh, curator type way but at the same time you, you you chart the evolution and I think there were you know in the dance music world from that era there were kind of two types of uh DJs or, or there's, there's two sets of history you were either a soul boy mm. which I wasn't at all or you were kind of an indie kid which I was very much but they they both met in the middle with house music um mm. I remember going to the Hacienda again when I was super young. I mean I did end up DJing the Hacienda in its latter years but before I was DJing out of London much I remember going to the Hacienda probably in like the mid 80s when I was really really young and hearing like the psychedelic furs played alongside yeah, yeah. old school hip-hop played alongside the very early house records and it was a it was a very interesting way of charting the evolution of music um it's noting that other people's taste evolution was kind of was was gravitating towards what I did and I, and I guess a good another good example and I didn't quite kind of get it at the time was what The Clash did who went from being a straight up kind of punk band uh with conventional instruments into being quite dance orientated before they split up as well um so that was that I guess is my my evolution before I became a DJ and then of course hit Acid House and hit became a rave promoter and I mean the great thing about being a Promoter and it's being a promoter is not an in to a music career that many people are lucky enough to be able to have. But you know, if you want to do it, do it when you're 16, because at 16, you have probably got the biggest social circle you're ever going to have in your life yeah. uh, uh, with a bunch of people who are not have got nothing to do. So, so that was my you know, you can that that was the kind of evolution of taste, if you like, going into um, then of course, I mean, I suppose the other thing about being a DJ is that when you're a kid. Uh, when you're in your mid-teens it's co- kind of quite cool to have the biggest record collection amongst your mates but then as you become 18 19 20 21 being a bit too much of a geek is actually a negative rather than a positive and therefore you almost need to sell your services to finance your habit to justify <laughs> your, your, your continued status as a geek uh, I've now sort of come to terms with the fact that I'm probably that, that I am a geek and I can, <laughs> I can wear it as a badge of honor
0: do you uh, when you DJ live? Do you, you do you do vinyl or, or digital?
1: I, I do digital, but I don't do digital mixing. I I, I start with vinyl. Then I but when the pioneer invented the CDJs, which basically yeah. uh, enable one to mix in exactly the same yeah. way that one would mix vinyl. Then I evolved to them, and now the same bits of hardware allow one to use a memory stick, but they can play multiple tracks simultaneously with <laughs> their memory stick. So so um. I've sort of gone down the typical evolutionary path. There are kind of two different lanes of DJing. Uh, the other one of which is is um, Serato and kind of laptop based, and the laptop does the mixing for you. And devotees of that that lane will tell you, well, that enables us to fart around with the effects um, and and focus on creating, doing a slightly more creative type um, soundscape, if you like. I'm always a little bit cynical about that because I think you know, it's about the music first and foremost, and, and you, it, it, one runs the risk of being self-indulgent. And, and yes, there is, there is a limited amount of crowds that probably really appreciate that, but I think, I think the majority you're of the crowds probably don't.
0: I've got a very funny story. Do you know Rusty Egan? Very well, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's
1: a DJ for him, yeah.
0: Uh, oh, did you? All right. I loved Rusty, and of course, he's been on the podcast as well. And um, I've attended events where he's been DJing, and he's been employed to do a kind of 80s set. And basically, is that kind of audience who just want to hear the hits and maybe some 12-inch mixes of it. And But, you know, you mix it sensibly and maybe beat match if you want to. No, 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 not Rusty. No, 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 no. He's doing, like, his own special, you know, versions of loops from different and all this stuff. And the net effect I've found a couple of times when I've been listening to that is that, I find it a bit frustrating because it's like it's a bit like uh, a really good foot- footballer just doing keepy uppies all the time. You know, it's not really the point. You know, it's more about engaging the audience emotionally, keep them on the hook, and and all that. I do I do a bit of DJ myself. I'm not an expert DJ at all, but um, I do know my stuff in terms of content. Um, so, but. Um, so, you're do, you're doing some live stuff, aren't you, with a real band? I,
1: I am. I, I went to. I'd be the first to admit. I went. The the influence was doing um, some curation of a lot of the, the orchestra shows that have been because right. you know Pete, Pete Tong uh, has been probably the most commercially uh, known about kind of orchestra show playing uh, playing dance classics. But actually, I've done quite a few with some of the very big sort of iconic club brands from Sheffield, Crasher from Liverpool, Cream, Ministry of Sound. I'm doing the O2 actually with them at the weekend. Um, but I, and, and it's absolutely, it was absolutely, and I've done, and I've been the kind of DJ, the MC, I've done curation of that sort of stuff. And it's absolutely magical seeing people revisit songs that were just a, a more than part of their youth, just a part of them played by an orchestra. But, and it's a quite a big but, it's fairly limiting because what the, the scope for an orchestra to kind of ad-lib or do anything away from the score is nigh or non-existent. Um, so what I wanted to do was almost take that a stage further and create, if you like, based around tunes that people know, but if you like, like a cross between a DJ mashup, a sort of funky jazz performance, and one of those orchestra shows. So it's like a 10-piece band where every track is more than one record mashed up if you like oh. all played live with with um two or three vocalists uh and then eight or nine other musicians and then uh, but then with loads and loads of crazy solos whether they're kind of rock guitar solos whether they're Spanish acoustic solos with whether they're kind of Bernard Edwards style bass um just bringing in lots of musicality it, it, but but you know meanwhile having that kind of syncopated backbeat and it's quite quite interesting because over the years I've played with a lot of live music. I went through a period actually in the, in the nineties of playing the trumpet when I was DJing and I really wasn't a good trumpet player. But, <laughs> that must have been the way for the audience. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, they laughed as much as they danced, I think, but, <laughs> but it was in, in many ways it was, you know, it was a cathartic experience because, you know, I, many DJs are frustrating musicians, yeah. but, but anyway, just so understanding that, that kind of relationship between dance music, which is hypnotic, syncopated, but um, occasionally can kind of lack substance a little bit and trying to trying to create something that's got that substance uh, and got that kind of performance. And we found musicians who are very adept at actually jump, you know, performing yes. all on radio all, all on, you know, radioed up. So, you know, the horn section jumps out into the crowd, the uh, it's all oh, very sort of performance oriented. It's, it's, it's kind of a festival, it's a festival aimed uh show we've done about probably done about 30 shows with the band brilliant and and
0: how long's the actual show is it
1: well we've got we can do what we can do anywhere between uh, an hour and two hours you know if you're doing a a very packed out festival lineup then we'll do a shorter one right or if we're doing a headline performance do longer um so it probably represents about i don't know one in five to one in ten of my gigs (laughs) is with the band the rest of dj shows fantastic we did um some
0: British Electric Foundation shows with a live band which is kind of I suppose similar to what you're talking about because we started out with a you know recorded electronic music and then we had to deconstruct it, reconstruct it with live instruments and and um, they were very successful we did one at the roundhouse with about nine different guest singers um which
1: is kind of what you did originally with that project
0: as well precisely it? so it's all kind of hermetically, not hermetically, wrong word, holistically connected, you know. Um, So, yeah, I'm into all that kind of special. I mean, I'll tell you what I'm into. I'm into um, you had to be there as a phrase. I believe in the power of immediacy and the power of one-off events. Uh,
1: yeah, I suppose the the- Not the, commercially, the, but yeah, just- the, Unfortunately, commercial. the corollary of that is people holding their camera phones in the air, is holding their phones in the air and recording stuff, which has been interesting, anecdotally. And I've noticed it, somebody said it to me anecdotally, and then I noticed it myself. Post-Covid, uh, post-Freedom Day, and I've done about 40 gigs post-Freedom Day, so I'm sort of vaguely qualified to comment- I think less people are holding. Oh, definitely
0: time. less. I mean, we're, I mean, we're, we're in the middle. We're in the middle of a tour at the moment, and uh, normally during Temptation, this like I don't know, out of a crowd of a thousand, there'd be uh, two hundred people with phones up, and that, this time it's been more like about twenty.
1: It's really interesting. It means people are actually experiencing yeah. it properly. And I, and I, the, the one thing I never wanted to be was the old was the old fart who says things ain't the way they used to be, and. Um, and be a Luddite about anything but what the thing that frustrates me most is I suspect most people who take those photos won't will look at them once and they'll be forever consigned to an album that just won't ever be revisited you know if they were truly lifelong memories uh then you then then kind of fair enough but it's kind of today's uh footage is tomorrow's digital chip paper if you yeah yeah I did I I
0: had a very I had a kind of Light bulb moment about that when I went to see Arctic Monkeys in Sheffield and uh, in the arena, and the whole of kind of I don't know twenty meters back from the stage, everybody was filming it. I mean, there were, I couldn't see anybody who wasn't. It was ridiculous. There were a few people on the in the you know in the in the balconies and stuff and in where I was sat, but at the front it was like it was insane. And the other interesting thing was. Uh, there was nothing coming from the stage to dissuade them there was hardly any kind of i love the arctic monkeys by the way uh uh, my hometown but uh there was no kind of attempt at emotional engagement with the audience from the band so it was like a kind of passive experience for the for them it was like watching a giant telly in ultra high definition it was not very much in the way of you know push and pull between you know, through the fourth wall or whatever you you call it. And we're the opposite of that with M17, I have to say.
1: Yeah, and I think quality of, you know, dare I say, I think one of the reasons why I've been DJing for a very long time is because you've either got it as a performer or you haven't. You've either got, I don't want to say star quality because that sounds really vain. You've either got a personality behind the decks or on stage or you haven't. And it's... I don't know, to, to, to go back to what you were saying about the Arctic Monkeys, I read that the Beatles stopped touring because very relatively early in their career, while still recording, because they couldn't hear themselves play over the volume of screaming. Um, interesting. Which, and, and that's when, at that point, the Beatles stopped touring. And actually for their last five to 10 albums, they didn't tour them at all. And they were such global megastars, it didn't make any difference to them. But there's almost a metaphor to that in the kind of camera, in the use of cameras, you know. Very interesting. When, uh and i've really but the great news is and i've done some especially in festival season between reopening on july the 19th and the end of september i mean i've done some really really big shows probably biggest amount of play to would be 50 or sixty thousand people and you just didn't see that many cameras which which i hope it stays that way i hope people yeah. just enjoy it but at the same time i don't want to sound like some old fart who ah. denies you know sticks his head in the sand and pret- pretends that things uh aren't different from the way they were 20 years ago.
0: Yeah. I may have to say that, you know, you've got a very strong brand. Uh, people will turn up to your gigs. Um, uh, with HEM17, uh, I think we're well liked and respected, but we have to keep – we have to rely on the fans to keep uh, keep the interest level up so that we can sell tickets for more and more shows. It's, it's, a, it's one of the great um, kind of uh, – ironies of of the last 20 30 years that the the dj world in terms of ticket sales and revenue is bigger in most respects than 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 a lot of the um a, a lot of the bands are earning you know i mean you can charge higher ticket prices possibly even um, yeah, well, I not guess, at the very top I'm I'm guess not the, x, at the very I top guess, end
1: yeah i guess the x is a, a lower for promoters in reality um, because as i've learned for the fir- you know, having had a band for the first time for the past three years, just the backline cost of of, of putting on bands is enormous. Whereas, yes, of course, if you put a multi DJ lineup on with some quite expensive DJs, it's not that cheap in in terms of talent. But actually, the equipment rental is negligible. You're negligible
0: in comparison. Yeah, I saw a oh, what was it called? I, w- I was in Mexico City at one of their big festivals and um on a trade mission of all things and uh got free entry it was brilliant massive attack we're on with their big show and all that stuff and uh and there was a second stage which was dance stage and they had a Russian DJ called I think it was called Gorbachev <laughs> it's a good kidding. name. Anyway, he should be called Gorbuchov, but it was a famous name from the past. Anyway, and it was literally—you uh, tell me if this is typical because I've never seen anything like it. He, they had like a 25-meter-high video wall, and it was about 40 meters wide. And he was on a platform, uh, kind of halfway up the screen, uh, which was also had video on the front. So it's, it looked like he was hovering in midair right. But in addition, God knows what his tech uh, spec was. I have never seen or even close 50%. I've never seen so many moving lights in a show in my life. At times, you had to shield your eyes, it was so bright. And I was, I was about 100 meters from the stage. And it was all on a time, it was all on a DMX timeline. it was obviously, he was not mixing anything, he wasn't even playing anything, he was just going, you know. And um, it's incredible. I just thought this is the ultimate configuration of that kind of world, you know, where it's incredibly expensive, people are willing to pay a huge amount of money to put it on, but the actual person at the center of it is almost irrelevant, you know. It's, it's kind of interesting,
1: yeah. I think some of the bigger events are like that. I think it's good to, um. I wouldn't deny that some of the bigger events can be like that, but I, but I think it's good to do, do stuff. That's not all about that. I I, I think, I think that's the reason why UK, fest, UK festivals, I always found that I, I, historically I've done festivals all over the place, of course, but I, I always found an interesting comparator was the, the Netherlands and the UK. Cause the Netherlands is a faint, very famous produce producer, pardon the pun of, of famous international DJs. There's loads of them. Um, you know household name DJs and I always found you you did a festival in the Netherlands and it had incredible staging you know with exactly the kind of backdrop you're describing Um, production that was amazing but then a crowd who just had dressed up so much they didn't have nearly as good a time and then you then you sort of fly over to the UK do a similarly sized festival which had crap production you know but just the most incre- amazing atmosphere. So, And I think that that is the problem in certain markets is that there is a, a confusion between, and I think Vegas is a bit like that to tell the truth. Um, that Vegas is not a market full of people who are very fond of music. It's, it's not the Mecca for music lovers, it's a Mecca. Of course, it's considered to be one of the biggest party locations in the world, but it's more that kind of VIP culture um, incredible visuals, incredible spectacle, but not, not uh, a temple for people getting lost in the groove at all.
0: Yeah. I suppose Dubai's a bit like that and all those kind of super luxury places.
1: Yeah, I think, well, Dubai can be... I go to Dubai fairly regularly. The, the, the only thing that gives uh, Dubai a pass in that respect is there's so many British expats who have been ravers in their time when they've lived in the UK yeah. that they actually can get it. Um, whereas... Whereas Vegas is full of, if you like, sort of mid, mid-Americans mid who've not simply not been brought up on electronic music at all.
0: Right, right. How um, – it's a broad question, but,
1: you know, what are your
0: favourite territories to perform in?
1: Well, Ibiza would be very high on the list. Well, that's um, your, you've got your own – Yeah, budget. I've done a residency for many years. I've done probably 500 gigs in Ibiza. Holy um, shit. Yeah, no, more than you yeah, ever get bored with DJ? I, if, I, the thing is you can't fool anybody. If you, if you give an indifferent performance, you only, as, we all know it, you're only as good as your last gig. Yeah. Uh, and indeed your next gig. Um, and I, uh, things have gone, you know, continue to go really well for me just before, you know, March 2020 lockdown, things were just coming back to a real second peak for me. And then of course suddenly it was all whipped away. And if there was any doubt about loving DJing, oh, my right. God, did the did the pandemic and not being able to do it uh make make it entirely clear. I've just you know I I I act probably more teenage than I should do at my age when <laughs> DJing, but even more so now it's just been it's been incredible. And I think it's not just me, I think just the look on people's faces, they just began to appreciate things more. And I, you know, maybe maybe I'm sort of um Desperately looking for uh, good, news, good news to come out of the of the COVID but the, the, of the pandemic. Uh, uh, yeah, we had
0: a similar situation. Um, we did a a, a a Let's Rock North or whatever it was. And it, it was like 20,000 uh, people, but people who'd not been to a gig for 18 months, right, or a festival. And uh, these were older people. And the, the look on the people's faces was one of almost incredulity. They, you could see, obviously, everybody's been through, through hell. They've been to Vietnam and back, you know. Um, but it wasn't just that. It was like everybody's had a similar kind of experience of gratitude, I suppose, for the sense of communal joy. Yeah. And that is something uh, that um, I always uh, give a, a, a kind of, uh, we we always have a huddle before we go on stage and you know I'm kind of like the guy guy who has to give the speech like the manager you know and we always um for the first time ever i said to them i said to the band i said look normally we're just doing this and we're going we're focusing on our performance and let's you know let's do it really well essentially and i said this time it's not it's not really really not about us it's about you know accepting that energy that's coming from the audience and and translating that into a performance and um it was complete. i was completely right in that respect i think um and i've seen it in the audiences we're touring at the moment and people are just very grateful you know
1: yeah, I mean, I it's it's genuinely a positive thing to come out of the pandemic. It's not yeah. just, you know, clutching at straws, looking for small grains of kind of consolation after what's been so difficult. In, I mean, slightly changing the subject towards my legal career. I mean, the, the, the thing for me during the pandemic was that my legal practice, you know, being not able to DJ at all, apart from doing weekly live streams, uh, legal practice could not have been more busy because there have been so many acts who'd lived and their management who'd lived off the fat of the land from live uh particularly in the electronic music space where records are almost like a lost leader just to generate that that lucrative live income and suddenly that was taken away which meant that managers who are in many cases very experienced people that i'd known for a long time but were shockingly inexperienced when it came to the detail of a record deal or of a music publishing deal, suddenly had to think, shit, we've, we've, you know, we've got to earn some money from somewhere. And that really uh, kept my legal practice so buoyant. Um, It was really difficult for, for everybody, but financially for, not just the musicians just the whole ecosystem of yeah. the life well,
0: I, 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 I suffered I mean probably yeah. lost a couple hundred grand over the, that period just out of not being able to perform
1: live friendly yeah, me too yeah. yeah but but at least had the the legal practice which so I don't you know didn't suffer in anything anything like how some of my dj peers did who only do who only dj and that's and and many of them fell through the cracks weren't the way that they set up their tax affairs meant they couldn't qualify for any benefit whatsoever.
0: Yeah, we do. I, yeah, exactly same for me. Um you do a lot of uh, uh DJing online on YouTube and don't you is it YouTube or Facebook or whatever? All of them, yeah,
1: pretty much yeah, all. Yeah.
0: Right. yeah. Um how I mean presumably people love that shit, right?
1: they do i mean when at the height of the pandemic when nobody could do anything i was getting up to sort of two three hundred thousand views to for one live stream now i think yeah i've continued to do it now now it's probably one tenth of that if not less because people are going out and they've got many more options available to them but i you know just did it for i and i still do it i've been doing it live now for for well night 20 months nearly just live streaming every saturday um just because it's it's great to have that connection to people. And obviously my, my market is probably 30, you know, 30 to 60 year olds yeah. is my market. Yeah. So yeah. not every 30 year old and certainly not every 60 year old is going to be going out every every weekend. They might go out once a month. I think a lot of them still do go out that much, but it's not like when you're in, in the 18 to 20, 30 age group where you'd go out every week. So actually a live stream is a really vital connection to music.
0: Right. That's for uh, It's funny because we looked at doing live stuff. Um, we looked at doing live concerts, we looked at the feasibility of it, of hiring a venue, doing it as a show and selling uh, tickets to it, you know, and, uh, I just couldn't wrap. I, I, I couldn't stand how It could be done technically, but I just wasn't <coughs> sure it was going to work. Um, that people would pay for it. You know, it just didn't really make sense to me. Anyway, but no, that's neither here nor there. I just thought i mention it. Um, you've got a clothing range.
1: Uh, no, I, I don't so much anymore. No, I did. That's something I did do. I mean, that sort of slightly fell by the way. There were a few things in my life that fell by the wayside a little bit when I became a lawyer because... There's only so many hours in the day. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. I did for a long time. That was something I was really interested in. Did really well, but I, but I sort of part that because there's only so many hours in the day. Really,
0: could you not have sold it like you
1: know? The... Well, it was very much branded around me. I mean, I still do merch, like right. I don't mm-hmm. know if you do Heaven Seventeen merch. Yeah. I mean, I still still do merch, but that's done in a more conventional kind of rock merchandise type and deal tell, with somebody. Yeah.
0: Tell me about your songwriting then, because I, I know you've been you've had various identities and you've written various songs and how do you feel about your songwriting? I'm not passing any comment. No, not i have not, not a chance to listen to it, to be honest.
1: No. Uh, um, well, it depends if you, obviously the, the genre I come from is has a lot of instrumentals and yeah. a couple, one of the biggest records, in fact, the biggest record I did sales wise was actually predominantly an instrumental, but then I did, I've written, I've had two artist albums with songs. Uh, in fact, three artist albums really. Um, it's, it's quite, I, I, I think in terms of the actual conventional songwriting, I'm quite proud of some of the things I've written. Uh, the only thing that I, some, when I listen back to some of my older tunes, it's actually more the production. I think some of them are a little bit over busy. And I think that, I think all art, if I'd known this when I was younger, that art is arguably more about what you leave out than what you put in. <laughs> and yeah, and That's with music, rude. finding Um, finding the space for for the elements to breathe is a real skill that, uh, so that's, if I listen, anything that I've done from the, and I've made hundreds of records, so this doesn't apply to all of them, but the ones that I listen to, that I think, oh, I could have improved it here and there if I had, you know, if then was now, tend to be ones where I've just tried to be too clever. I've tried to put too much in there. Um, Which isn't to say they're all like that. You know, some of them I'm very proud of. But but the more successful ones tend to be the ones that are a little bit simpler and a little bit straight to the point.
0: Um, Have you ever attempted or desired to create a kind of classic, you know, three-minute pop song with that kind of structure?
1: I... I was given, um, especially in the late nineties and early noughties, when there were a lot of, um, big dance records that were signed by majors as instrumentals and they then put vocals on top.
0: Oh, right. Uh,
1: I, I, they often pitched those to me and I never, and I wrote actually, I've got some of the songs that I wrote now, and I think the songs are very good, but for whatever reason, they never got, they never got commissioned because they were pitching them out to like 20 or 30 different people. So I tried to do it in that respect. Um, It depends what you mean by pop, because for me, something's got to be in sort of minor key stroke, eerie key for me, for it to kind of do something for me personally. Um, And obviously a lot of pop is... That's a bit pejorative, I would say. Um, Well, there's been some
0: fantastic records that have been in a major key. I mean, pop records. I know, yeah, for you. I,
1: you're saying it in your personal text. Yeah, what I like, exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. that's what I like. And, and it's difficult, be different. And it's very difficult for me to write in any other, oh, anything other than rather a melancholic and sad key. You could try it, yeah. Yeah. You can try it,
0: though. Yeah. You could try it. What yeah, about I mean, like, what about cold porter for fuck's sake? Yeah, no, I, I mean of course. Major we, minor, major minor. Yeah. What about let me go? You know, that's, that's yeah. No, no, no you, I mean clearly you, think of,
1: you, know, you think of many exceptions to that principle. But I think when you listen to, when you listen to dance music, the records I like tend to be a bit eerie, a bit melancholic,
0: yeah, yeah. a bit finer. I, I yeah, I've listened to a lot of your stuff today, and uh, and and um, I'm not just saying it. It's very you know sophisticated. A lot of it, you know, I, I really like it a lot. Um, I'm just I'm always uh, in interested as you know I, 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 in all these podcasts I always mention the students because I learn a lot from them. I'm always interested in pushing people out of their comfort zone you know I, I'm a provocateur uh, you know I think you could if, you, if there's any interest to you I think you'd be really good at that shit so that's why I mention it um, what else are we looking at you, you're you're uh, your uncle's Rick
1: Stein. Rick Stein, yeah, Rick
0: Stein. He, Amazing.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a funny old family that we are. You like are fish? People. I do, I do. I worked, I worked at his restaurant when I was uh, fifteen and sixteen in my summers in Cornwall. Uh, he li- he he lived with my family uh, when I was growing up for three years. So he's, wow. it's he's not just my uncle. He's you know very close to him, and he was actually a DJ, believe it or not, before he came a chef. right. Yeah. Um, that's right, and I and a lot of my early records I got from him, so um, there's there's a very strong connection. He, you know, Cornwall's his his main base, but he's you know he's truly passionate about what he does, and he's I, I, I guess beyond Jamie Oliver and 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 Ramsay, he's probably the most famous chef in this country and in many other countries as well. So he does. Uh, lots play, of, fair play uh, to my uncle, really. Yeah,
0: he does lots of uh, great TV. I think I, his travel shows are very. I like his style of presenting, but I also think it comes from an authentic place of loving loving different styles of food, different cultures. And I think we need more of that shit. Less of yeah, I, you I know, think- walking into Marks and Spencer's and every packet of food has got British on it. You know, I'm I'm so over that.
1: Um, I mean, so I mean I'm into cooking. Having said that, I was on Celebrity MasterChef about Uh, 18 months ago and I got eliminated in the first round so that was that's definitely not a bit of uh family what did did you cook oh I just I I, the problem I made was I just used ingredients I like and cooked stuff I liked and Mm. I think you've got to be a bit more uh, you've got to be a bit more wanky than that you've got to kind of have a have a name for your dish and kind of justify it whereas for me I just like certain key flavors with very fresh sort of occasionally quite exotic ingredients, but they didn't buy it anyway. They, no, they, didn't, buy my, they didn't buy my bullshit and off I went. After what, did
0: after they... All oh right, you can, you can give us some inside dope on all this stuff. Did they not kind of... Does the production team not suggest some things to you?
1: No, not really, no. they um, Not as far as I got in it, no. Right. Uh, they were like... Because they... They sound you out. I mean, I've done a few other of those kind of I mean, I'm doing, dare I say, the Celebrity Chase at, at, for Christmas. Oh, yeah. And they, you know, they will sound you out to make sure you're not completely inappropriate for the show. Um, I, in the case of the Celebrity Chase, that you've got some degree of general knowledge. And in the case of um, Celebrity Master Chef, that you've got some idea about cooking and you're not just doing it. Being one of these Katie Price types who, you know, I... Appears at the opening of an envelope. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I do. I do. I enjoy cooking, and I. Um, what do you do? When I'm a celebrity. Um, no, for well, and multitude of reasons. One, I'm too busy with DJing uh, to to take three weeks out, and of course, with my um, even more so in my legal practice, where other people are relying on you, and you can't. You don't know when the next person's going to ask you to right. do something. Right. Good. But Good. I also feel that's. Um, I've, the only ones I've tried to do are those that are not awash with pe- fairly desperate celebrities doing it, to, so that they can appear in the pages of OK Magazine and all the rest of it. Which I would never do. I'm more doing it things that are kind of fun. I've got plenty el- plenty going on in my life that constitutes a career, so I don't yeah, really lose yeah, do no yeah. money. Uh, celebrity bake off. That'd be a good one. Yeah, I don't really eat desserts. Otherwise, I'd give that one a <laughs> try. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, you're an Arsenal fan. I am indeed.
0: Um, for obvious reasons, uh, because I'm a Sheffield Wednesday fan, I loathe the Arsenal. <laughs> You've been a source of much suffering over the years, <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, albeit quite historical suffering. Yeah. Well, I went to, not I went it's went very fresh to the, in my Wembley, mind. I, don't went you. Cup, the two, the, I went to the two cup finals when they, yeah, won at I was there too. At
0: oh, broke my heart, anyway. Um, that was a turning point for our club, I and mean, we were in League One now, you know. So, um Ben no, I don't really loathe Arsenal. I mean I quite like the style of football that um, well you,
1: work, you your your office is is almost on the doorstep of um yeah the Emirates, my
0: son's a Sheffield Wednesday fan he had to grow up in Goonaland you know it's not it wasn't that much fun for him uh, they, okay. they were all Gooners in his school anyway um I think we're getting close to the end of this it's just absolutely zoomed by isn't it um it's all right I know one one interesting last thing is you're clearly very good on the radio you've had a very long radio career what do you think the uh future is for radio i mean
1: you know traditional radio it's a really good really good question and it's one i think about a lot because i you know i was on radio one for 15 years i'm I'm on a couple of stations now different and i've got in fact i'm on a lot of radio stations with my global warm-up but um I was on radio one at a time when really it was the, one of the only channels of curation and one of the only channels (laughs) of music. Uh, And now you've got that, that some people would argue that Spotify playlists are more important. Some would argue that they're equally important, but there's certainly many other channels of, of promo. And actually one hears in the electronic music sphere, you hear the name kiss, kiss FM, which I started life on as a pirate station. I was on kiss for a while in the nineties as well. Um, so, so radio one is generally got a much more difficult task on its hands. And I think, you know, you're asking <laughs> about radio in general, but of course you really can't answer any question of that nature without a reference to radio one, because radio one is the, probably the number one champion of new music in radio in the world. Um, and I, 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 I guess whilst, Going back to what I said earlier, this sixty, this very frightening sixty thousand releases on Spotify a day, curate curators become all the more important, and those people capable of filtering that down to a palatable number of people. Um, so, yes, Radio One have lost some listeners, but they haven't lost they haven't absolutely shed listeners like, like you know, a, 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 a lizard sheds its skin. They are they're fighting against more other curation channels but so I, I i it's i do think radio is very important i do think you a passionate presenter who loves what they do um i thought i loved Annie Mac. i think it's a real shame that she's no longer there yeah uh i i actually yeah i loved mr jam as well on a more commercial level so a couple of the but it's all about that passion um and no nobody can talk passionately as passionately about music as a radio presenter um because there aren't really tv shows that do equivalent because not all good records have got a video to go with them
0: no um one one thing that um actually i'm not going to talk about it because it's, it's too negative to end on let's do the fun stuff uh, which is like the smash hits type your favorite things um and i never warn people in advance about this because i think it's best to get a fresh response. so what's your, what's your favorite film or one of them good fellas great okay favorite book lord of the rings i suppose really i've never read lord of the rings
1: is it really good yeah it was just the first book that truly got me into reading really as a oh, kid okay
0: okay uh, tv show current past box set
1: anything i'd have to say i'd i'd have to say a tie between the the wire and sopranos
0: yeah the wire's right up All there or breaking
1: bad Breaking Bad, those three, I think it's really difficult to say which one's better, but they're the best three box sets. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Loving um, loving succession right now as well.
0: A lot of people are uh, into that. I've not watched it yet. I must have a look at that. Um, epiphanal moment in your life?
1: Mm. I, think, I think getting the call from Radio 1 uh, when I was in my late 20s, because it was, if you like, when, you are, when you're into music, the ability, you know, while you're a DJ, you're, you're trying to champion what you believe in and, sh- and open your, your taste up to as many people as possible. Open up that larder and invite people yeah. to come in and take a bite. And, get, and getting onto Radio 1 was the biggest larder imaginable. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's good. Good answer. Um, your f- favourite other musical artist or composer? Hmm.
1: One of them. It's almost an impossible question. I, I it mean... is. There's just too many. I mean, it's just too many, and it changes week by week, really. Uh, um, right. I mean, I s- Hans Zimmer, maybe for oh yeah, film yeah. cool. soundtracks, which yeah. are incredible. Yeah. Um, who's your favourite other DJ? Carl Cox. Really? Yeah, because the energy. Because it's it's about stage presence and energy. Yeah. And uh, and uh, you could have. A DJ or a band playing the greatest music in the world, but if they're mediocre performers, the performance just ain't going to be as good. And, yeah, and Carl Cox is, just, is an exceptionally energetic, charismatic performer.
0: Wow, that's a great answer. Um, ambition unfulfilled.
1: I, it would be it, it would be disingenuous to say that I haven't. That there's any really because I've wanted to do everything I do I've wanted to do yeah. I've de- kind of performed everywhere I wanted to be- give something I wanted to become a lawyer do well at that build up a client base of people I love so I can view the world from the other the other side mm-hmm. um, yes of course within the, each sphere of what I do um, I could one could always do better and you've got to wake up every morning I think as a as a general philosophy in life wanting to do better in everything you do but I have fulfilled a lot of ambitions at the same time I'll tell you mine
0: is uh, to do a full feature film soundtrack nobody's ever asked me the bastards and um one day it'll happen um which of your own work are you happiest with?
1: Um, I the, there were quite a lot. Although I was being a slightly negative about earlier on about some things I've done, there were quite a lot. There's, there were just key records. I did a, I did a one one side of one of my artist albums, um, which is called Split Personality by by one of my nom de plumes, Highgate. Um, it was one side a real banging dance album, and one side a chill out album. And I'm really proud of that chill out album.
0: Yeah, I can see that in you. I can see. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I can see a more reflective side and a and a kind of come well let's have it oosh 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 kind of thing. Um, um finally I have to ask everybody this question, even if they're not directly associated with electronic music, but you are.
1: Um what's your favorite synth? Um I suppose a Juno 0106 because um that was what a lot of my early records were made on. I mean I was making I was using it after it was a new bit of kit. But right. it's a really integral to dance music then and now.
0: Yeah, it's fat-sounding yeah. and, and, and just a, a workhorse, yeah. 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 Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for doing it. My pleasure. It. Cheers. And um, I'll know where to come for, like, legal advice in future. Um, I don't need that Robert Horsefall nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> all right man have a great evening oh thank you cheers i'll, I'll bump into you your target no doubt
1: yeah as atoms collide yeah cheers. all right man see you, see you later. later cheers bro.
0: just jewels ladies and gentlemen uh, you may leave the court um, he's won all sorts of awards I forgot to mention at the start. Uh, he was voted world's number one DJ in 1995, believe it or not. Um, he's had lots of different band identities, which you can see on Wikipedia. I don't have them listed here, but there's lots of them. And uh, a lot of the stuff he does is is instrumental. Uh, he writes a lot of that stuff. Um uh, And he's done a lot of stuff with orchestras, reinterpreting his stuff. He even had a clothing range, as I mentioned. And that was interesting, the thing about him being the nephew of Rick Rick Stein. Yeah, I I think he's a very interesting guy. Uh, I really enjoyed that that chat. How is everyone getting through the pandemic, hopefully, without two minutes, too much scarring? Um, Please email me if you want to have a chat. Uh, Let me know if you're enjoying the podcast, and if so, which bits of it you're enjoying. If you have ideas for segments, if you have ideas for guests, even if you have complaints. I'll just chuck those in the bin, though. Um, No, we all learn from negative feedback, provided it's well-meant. Or do we? A lot of people tell me to shut the fuck up um, on the interviews recently. Um, Not a lot, a few people. To to those people I say, well, you know what, it's free, you don't have to listen to it. So um, I'm sorry, this is the style of this particular... I'm not sorry, sorry, not sorry. It's the style of this particular thing. I do take issue with being called a narcissist though, as though I'm like, this is all about me. It really isn't. I know it's got my name in the title, but it's meant to be a, a conversation between peers. And you can't do that if, if it's just like, you know, Michael Parkinson interviewing somebody or, you know, the usual style. So there you go. That's why it's like that. Time for some more emails. This is Rob Brailsford. Hi, Martin. I'll be brief. Absolutely love the show. Blah, blah, blah. William Orbit. Mark Bryden, Richard Barrett. Suzanne Chiani. Art of Noise. Good ideas. All of them. And uh, this is Tony from Manila PR, who we've worked work with. Uh, Hi, Marty, Quick email to say thank you for the Rigid Hawley Electronically Yours podcast. An amazing listener as a Sheffielder, hugely enjoyable and a brilliant listen. Looking forward to catching the Sananda Maitreya one, as that was an album I played nonstop in 1987. Take care, Tony. Thanks, Tony. Um, let's see, where are we? Nicola Jones. Hi, Martin, still dipping in and out of your Brill podcasts, although I'm doing them akin to a chocolate box selection, dipping in and out of favourite people rather than chronologically. There's no reason to do them chronologically at all. Um They're meant to be consumable at any time, uh, at any speed. Morris was such a naturally joyous person with a clear love for life. A couple of new names came to mind, but excusing if they cropped up on others, and I'm repeating, what about David Sylvian? I'd love to. In my musical memory, Japan sits in the same mind drawer, and I'm sure could be a fascinating person to talk to. I am pretty sure he would be. Um, and even though we were on the same label at the same time, and we lo- loved them, he was very quiet. David never really got chance to talk to him I so I would love to please uh, consider uh, subscribing to my patreon site which is which is um, patreon.com/ electronically hours and for the price of a coffee or a pint of beer once a month you can help support the making of these podcasts. Uh, it cost me money to make them. I'm still not recouping all the, the cost back. Uh, so I need to be kind of incentivized not to keep spending money. Uh, I'd really appreciate it. And also you get access to exclusive episodes. You get access to me more directly via, via, um, I'm more likely to respond to you directly if you do it via the Patreon site. Um, but in any case, my email address is electronicallymartin at gmail.com. Um so oh yes, and this uh, episode is sponsored by SGM uh, Concerts, who are our promoters largely for a lot of our tours. Uh, they're very kindly helping me to pay for each episode. So thanks to them, it's keeping going and it means I can keep it independent and free for everybody else. So that's it for this week. Another very interesting guest next week. Bye.